Hello, everybody. Kyle here. Welcome to a very special episode of the Chaos and Shadow podcast. You are going to hear an amazing interview that Pagan and I conducted live at House Keparu's Gather for 2021 at the very end of Saturday, right after Matt Oren, who also has an interview with us up on the feed. Right after he got done speaking, we sat down with Michelle Belanger and her partner, Illyria Rose Little. It was a beautiful conversation. It was us just unwinding and having fun after, I think it was almost 12 hours jam-packed with fantastic speakers, all about astral projection, how to handle different psychical elements. It was just really, really fun. And here's the thing. You can go and still buy tickets to the event if you'd like. They archived it super, super well on YouTube. So uh, you go over to keparu.org, go over to the Gather tab, and you can purchase a ticket. It runs about $60 US, and that, again, grants you, you get a virtual ticket email. Um, I, I, I don't know exactly when that sends out to you, but you'll get it in short order. They also have a contact email there if you have any trouble at all, but they will get you access to all the YouTube videos. You go back, watch them, and enjoy. I mean, seriously can't recommend it any further. Uh, though I will, I will. I'll say that you're going to hear that in just a minute. Go get involved. If you'd like to support us, revelatornetwork.com is where we do all of our cool stuff. We are going to invite Michelle to one of our upcoming seances. I'm recording this here on uh, August 8th, it looks like. So uh, I can say that we have something going on this upcoming as well. If you're catching this on Monday the 9th, then you should know that this upcoming Saturday on the 14th, we are doing a very special behind-the-scenes stream sort of deal. Uh, Our website just gave us the ability to do hosted things for our members. So if you go to revelairnetwork.com, land on the homepage, scroll down right underneath, you see a picture of me that says, say on Saturdays, there is a couple events you can RSVP to. It's totally experimental. Get involved in the free one that's going to happen on the 14th. That, again, should be this cool in-house style streaming thing directly on the Revelator site. Uh, You RSVP because they're tickets, just like a a traditional ticketing program would do. So look forward to an email with that. Um, Also, get involved in our Gilded server because if you need any help with it, that's a really good spot. You can also ping that chat button up on the website, too. I am totally approachable through that. So drop us a line if you have any questions at all. Enjoy this interview that's coming out. Make sure to follow Michelle and Illyria over on Twitter. Get involved with House Keparu, and we will let you know about more cool events in the future. Just a massive thank you for them, to them for inviting us, for hosting it all, for putting it all together. They made it so, so easy. Enjoy. everybody this is going to be such a fun time you got kyle here (laughs) my co-host pagan from the chaos and shadow podcast we have michelle and illyria this is absolutely wonderful we've just been having a total blast behind the scenes (laughs) yeah just been silly so much (laughs) totally silly we got i got some coffee we're caffeinated it up 
We got a, a late night pagan for once for those that listen yep. to the Chaos and Shadow podcast on the regular. We're keeping her up and we're having a fun time tonight. So <laughs> I hope we can get a lot of questions in from chat. It's been yes. an amazingly long day. I have to say thank you so much to all the organizers, the house kept root, everyone having us. Michelle, for coming on our podcast before and, and te- teasing us with, with coming on to do this. <laughs> so from the bottom of our hearts, truly, thank you. Thank you for having us this evening. Thank you, because I love your exuberance. Ah, I mean, I've been doing this for 21 years, so it's really good to hear, like, people get excited about it. Today has just been such a fun day (laughs) with with just the the theme of ESP, astral, uh, temples, the whole nine yards has been something that's really interesting to me lately. Um, In in Matt's presentation that we just got, uh, came from, he was talking about some EEG stuff with theta alpha waves and the rest. I Pagan and Pagan has been putting up with me going down this science route and <laughs> she's been such a trooper cuz we balance each other out, right? Pagan, I come a little more from the science, mm-hmm. you come a little more from the mysticism, we meet in the middle yes. and we're just having a blast here. We're the two sides of the bridge and then we come together and make the whole bridge. It's great. It's fantastic. Okay. That is exactly. As long as you meet in the middle and don't just We do meet in the middle. <laughs> no, we've never we've never had that miss before. And Illyria, this is your first time that we've got to actually talk to you live. This is so fun. Yes. Hello. Yeah, usually Illyria is behind the scenes like making everything work. Yep. Illyria is the wonderful one behind habit. the scenes. Yeah, I, I have a bad habit of chats rolling where I can see it. I'll just like guppy my way through the whole thing and like get completely derailed. It's a real problem. Absolutely a thing. <laughs> well, tonight we are ready to take any questions, like I said, from chat as they come up. Uh, I, I've got a lot of experience with streaming and talking and all of it at once. So uh, mm-hmm. this should be fun. We're going to make it work. I, I, I So we were just talking, Matt, for a second. That was phenomenal. That conversation, just top to bottom. And I think, Michelle, in there, your psychical aptitude cards got brought up and also some of your, your books. So I'd love to touch on some of that as we go through here. Just kind of what uh, what got those psychic aptitude cards to be created? I know we heard a little bit of background, but I'd love to talk a little bit further on that if we could right off the bat. Okay. Well, Kat, a.k.a. Abriel, who was doing uh, one of the presentations and is doing some of the behind the scenes stuff, uh, is the artist for that. And so I got to take a parapsychology class is sort of like extracurricular stuff in fourth and fifth grade. Like I was teeny tiny. My school system offered these as Saturday enrichment classes. I, I like, I was just in the best place at the best time. Um, the, the person who offered it was the father-in-law of one of the teachers. He was a member of the society for psychical research. So I got introduced to Zener cards really early and we played with them. And I, like, I've had I, I like the idea. I learned all about their history. I thought that was fascinating. And it always hit me just a little bit off on the way psychic stuff actually works, where it assumes that telepathy is literally, I look at a picture and I am beaming it into your brain as if like I am a radio antenna and you are a radio. And that kind of doesn't take into account the way brains work, like the way we actually perceive yeah. stuff. So while I like the concept, I wanted to design something that took into account the subjective nature and the interpretive nature of how we uh, interface with symbols. 
and I wanted it to be like as simple as possible, but I also wanted it to like be really immersive. So this idea of making it a, a, a card in the round. Uh, so when you're looking at it, there's a sense of being pulled into the picture rather than just looking at a, a single static image. And as I was hashing the idea out with Kat, I wanted uh, some illustration that was monochrome. So each of them would have letters, the color like red, the color red written in letters in red against a red background that is also a symbol, so a rose. So like all of the things that we might associate with red. So the whole thing is just like this immersive trigger of this is what red is. What does that mean to you? Like, what are mm-hmm. the things that that raises? Like green. Uh, the biggest challenge for Kat as the designer was to try to make these letters like big, bold, readable, and also monochrome. Like, like all of it's still yeah. like the rose is all red. I mean, obviously, like there's some shading and stuff in there, but like to still capture that. Uh, and then to work with, you know, your first step of this is not just, you know, open the package. I mean, you could if you really wanted to. But to look at each one and kind of create uh, your own data log of what are your associations with this? Because when we, at least my experience of psychic perception is there's a lot of interpretation when it goes back and forth. Uh, The best example I have is there was uh, an experiment in the 60s and I think early 70s with the Maimonides Institute, uh, the Dream Institute, and they were working on dream telepathy. And they were trying to see if somebody as a sender could send uh, paintings to a sleeper who was trained in lucid dreaming. And they, they had a whole thing set up for this. And the one that struck me, and it didn't qualify as a psychic hit. And this is, this is what did it for me. They were looking at the pugilist, which is this classic 19th century picture of like a prize fight in a ring. And so the idea was the sender is trying to insert this painting into the person's dream. And the assumption is that the person will be dreaming and then see the painting on the wall or encounter it on their thing. The person's dream, the, the receiver, was in a prize fight in a ring and was all strapped up with it. So they're dreaming themselves wow. in the painting, in the theme of it. And that's and what that translated. Count. And it doesn't count because what they were, from a laboratory standpoint, looking for was the painting on the fucking wall. Not becoming the painting. Right. Yeah. So, so I was like, okay, so we need to understand how brains work and, and how we process sensation and perception and what our associations are and accept that brains are associative and then go from there. It's a funny story. As yeah. you were starting to talk about this, I was like, oh gosh, I hope Sash talks about the pugilist experience. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. As you were describing it too, I was like, they're not going to have the painting in the dream. They will be the painting. Mm-hmm. So I love it. I love that it popped yeah. in my brain as you were saying. <laughs> the rigidity of these experiments just and I mean, I, I'm at the stage of getting into ESP studies sort of on the like we we're saying a little bit more on the academic side where I see how much I don't know. Like that's that's mm. my entry point now. But that is something right off the bat with the story you mentioned with Zenner cards is a lot of the ways it was implemented in these lab type experiments is now discounted or seen as you know fallible or but it it gets away from the idea of what is actually happening between two people like like you're saying great if it comes as a photo on the wall but to say that that's the only standard for the experiment that discounts Mm -hmm. a lot of actual hits that i would totally count if 
if I were designing uh, experiments for psychic abilities, where I would start would be experiments trying to pinpoint how perceptions are transmitted. What is the experience of the sender? What's the experience of the receiver? What are the ideal circumstances? Like, do things that are emotionally charged tend to transmit better? And, you know, is it, does it always have to be visual? Like, like and, and go from there first. Uh, does the, the mental state of the person doing the sending, how big of an important thing of that is that going to be? Like, do you have to have somebody who is sensitive or psychic themselves or ideally doing the sending in addition to doing the receiving? Or do you, can you have just Joe Schmo off the road and be like, look at this picture and think real hard about it? And are you going to get the same results? And I say no. You, you, you probably won't. And it's so tricky because without actually understanding what each individual's strengths and weaknesses might be, like, how do you even mm. compare abilities? Like, I mean, the, the, there are so many variables to try to isolate. The, the variables are the thing. Um, when, when I was doing my labs for my psych degree, the, the thing about it is the reason why laboratory experiments can be so, like, very rigid is you're trying to control as many variables as possible. And the problem with psychic phenomena is there are so many variables we don't, we can't even measure. Like we don't even know that they're there to predict them or control them. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the land the lab is sitting on may play an enormous role or like whatever conjunction is going on that day. Like, like how do you even like yeah. account for that? Or even synergies between yeah. particular senders and particular receivers who might have like some part of their internal lexicon or emotional experience in common with each other. So they like transmit better to each other, but not better to other receivers or senders. Yeah. So, so before you try like the really big showy stuff, you have to like really start to dig into those other variables so you can track them, identify them, find ways to like rule them out or, or see if there's a way that you can kind of Faraday cage someone from the land spirits that might be in, you know, like all of that. <laughs> now that's an experiment I have lined up. Actually, I am, I am dead set <laughs> on building a Faraday cage for this. And I have heard two different schools of thoughts on that, where some uh, are saying that works very, very well. Others say that it is a uh, very stifling for them. So I'm like extraordinarily excited to see how that actually plays out in a, uh, just a homebrew setup, really. We we had a we did some Faraday cage stuff. Josh Light was uh, well, is uh, you know electrical engineer, engineering stuff like smart as a fucking whip. And different people reacted to the Faraday cage differently based on how they feel they connect to energy. Interesting. That is interesting. Wow. Yeah. So for some people, it was sort of like giving them like they're just putting them in an actually like shielded space mm -hmm. and for other people shielding it allowed them to go inward and perceive better and so like the the different results were pretty cool i very that much really dig cool. that well pegan <laughs> we're gonna have to build a faraday cage next <laughs> I, I, like literally as it, michelle is talking i have so many experiments popping into my head and i'm like we need to do this we need to do this we need to do this and so yeah you, you've essentially set us up for like the next yeah and, and we're, we're good cases, <laughs> if you can also be measuring like what are those brainwave patterns like like have that as kind of a constant thing of like what's going on inside the person's head i would love that eg i would love to do to have someone in the in an mri trying to do psychic mm. stuff uh <laughs> 
I, I mean, I gotta get them every year. I'm I'm down oh, for experiments. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know. I, I, I'm down. <laughs> so, Kenneth Wilbur, I believe, had mentioned uh, experiments with people who were doing transcendental meditation and MRIs that were me- measuring, like in real time, shifts and changes in their in their brain. Uh, so, you know, it's not a far cry. Uh, I cannot line up for that. I'm allergic to the dye. Oh. I, I, I feel that like when I have to get my MRIs done, because I usually have to get like five to six done back to back because of MS and all of its joys. And uh, the only way I can actually get through those long sessions is going into a meditative state. Otherwise I start to go a little insane because of all the noise. Mm. So wow. Yeah. I don't recommend MRIs for anybody. They're not fun. Mm. But not, not a Saturday <laughs> fun time activity. Yeah. No, no, uh, no, no. Uh, but I do have a question kind of going back to your psychic yeah. aptitude cards. Uh, could it, the same kind of process of getting to know those cards work with getting to kind of familiarize yourself with, say, a new tarot deck or Oracle deck? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I one of my favorite things to do myself for a new tarot deck is before I even try to read it is to just sort of sink into each picture, like see how it speaks to me, acquaint myself, you know, not just with like the little booklet of what it's supposed to mean, but like, how does it speak to me? How do I resonate with it? What things that were not intended by the artist, like, like stand out to me because we all have slightly different associations with symbols, with colors, uh, and sometimes it's also a good way to figure out this is not going to be a tarot card that or tarot deck that I can read from because I have totally different associations than what the person designing it intended. Uh, so unless I have a really solid sense of of like this is the right tool for that because of those differences, it's it's one where I'm like this is just pretty. <laughs> Um, we have a question here in chat from Nerwin who was looking for a little bit of an ex- explanation on what a Faraday cage is. So I just grabbed them a little yeah, something please, please. off of the internet. Explain. But we're, we're talking in this case, um, some sort of shielded, uh, if you're talking like a homebrew setup, you could be just using a couple two by fours or something and then using meshing over it. Now, someone in chat says that a car can function like a Faraday cage too. But the big, big, big difference is that if you've got a fully functioning Faraday cage, you should take your cell phone into it and lose all reception to your phone. Like it, that's, that is the truer form. I think in the case of a car, it's supposed to prevent you from being electrocuted while you're driving, yes. but it's hopefully not going to kill your can cell phone. confirm my car got struck by lightning in a storm years ago. Really? Oh, I bet that's terrifying. It, I would have been it, was, it was a lot. The car was fine <laughs> that day. And then the next day, everything was dead. Oh, wow. Check but it, it was fun. Like, like I was sitting in the park, stopped sitting in the parking lot of the Taco Bell going, this is a storm. Oh, no. This is a lot. This was I fun. think we just got struck by lightning. <laughs> oh my gosh. This level of weird is just normal in my life. Like, yeah. oh, you know, cars get struck by lightning. I different levels of weird. How many times has Cat been literally struck by lightning? Charlie! Charlie was struck by lightning three or four times. We called him Thunder God Thor because when he would play the freaking guitars, you'd see sparks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like there was, it didn't matter if things were grounded. Like, he's, he's electric. It's ridiculous. 
All There's an interesting works. theory that some people can like still hold electricity after they've been struck by lightning and they just stay kind of at a higher functioning electric electrical point than normal humans do. That definitely seemed to be the case with our lead guitarist in Erg. Yeah, I mean, I've heard those stories of like when when someone's struck once, they they tend to get struck more than once, which sounds horrifying to me. I mean, that's like the yeah. the worst type of uh, conductor. I, I just no, thank you. I'm gonna it's just they're so attractive. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love it. We got another question here tied to the the psychical aptitude cards. Brittany asks, in terms of how frequently should one use them, and would that differ per person? would differ per person. I mean, honestly, until you get bored, like as often as you want to play around with them. Uh, I will say that there is often a point of diminishing returns with psychic exercises Mm -hmm. because you can kind of wear yourself out. Uh, You're using muscles and like an energy base that you don't necessarily appreciate that you're using up, but it's the same as like, running a marathon there, there's a point where you're not going to be as fast you're not going to be and you, honestly there's a point where you're just gonna kind of be like done now mm-hmm. i've been there I, done I, that a couple of times <laughs> i don't recommend doing what i did which was having like an awesome uh session of playing with the psychic aptitude cards at inspiration house with some folks and scaring oneself yeah you scared yourself accuracy. <laughs> um i didn't I wasn't able to guess the card that was on top. I was guessing two cards ahead, but I got six in a row, right? But yeah, and then like I was, was like, ah, I mean, cool. That's an ability. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like, nope, 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 nope. There, Run away. Oh, no, there is an app that people can download for free. It's called ESP Trainer. I'm just throwing this out there. Mm-hmm. This comes from Russell Targ and um, SRI, Stanford Research Institute. Uh, oh, cool. Really neat in that you're just choosing four colors, and if you get it right, uh, a picture will appear under it. And now, Pagan and I had a conversation. Oh, I got the first one. Yay. But um, <laughs> Pagan and I got to this conversation where it felt like we were picking, like you just said, Illyria, two ahead. And in, in my mind, when it's something that's app-based, I always worry that there's programming in there and that your brain can kind of absorb that you just start predicting not even psychically but just algorithmically but Mm -hmm. still it does bring up a really interesting concept where i'll be i'll tap red and it goes wrong and then the next one's red and then it's so on and so forth so i feel like there's really really something to that and and when i got my pack of zenner cards a friend that was over who has very minimal interest in that and he was blown out of the water by calling a couple of them in a row so i think there's absolutely something to that. I'd like to consider, continue the conversation of this kind of window of uh, how like activity and, and when your burnout sets in. We were just mm-hmm. talking the Estes method uh, during mats where people put on headphones that hopefully are canceling some sound out um, and then doing like a spirit box and attachment to that. Dana Newkirk from Hell, you're in the Paranormal mm-hmm. Museum there was just recently mentioning that 20 minutes seems to be a really, really good mark for her and um, just for that method. And I was curious if if either you have any experience either with using a spirit box in that way or any of those timings that you find that stand out to you. I will say one thing about spirit box is, and I think it's because of how sensitive I am to noise. Mm-hmm. Um, like mm-hmm. I'm easily overwhelmed with certain sensory stimuli. 
so they had tried paranormal state tried to do like a ping pong balls on the eye and like white noise in my ear Dance and fell. like of like trying to let me do like a sensory depth and i'm like this is not sensory depth this is sensory overload and i want to crawl out of my skin make it stop hmm. so so for me i know that like the way that i process information it's i don't know that it would work very well for me i mostly i think i would just be internally screaming um and and that is definitely my experience of somebody using a spirit box in the same room with me it's just it's like <laughs> like all of this stuff mm-hmm. and it it does not work with the way my brain works that said uh one super intrigued by the way it works though for the people that it i mean like like that's really neat i love the estes method because it rules out a couple of the things that had me on a skeptical side of like hmm. yeah but if we're all standing around to the thing going <laughs> get out like <laughs> it, it <sighs> too many chances for contaminated yeah for and like, like yeah but but just yeah. having the person not even hear the questions mm-hmm. is pretty darn cool uh one i think repeated practice and work can expand the window within which you can function uh, i think starting off it's important to kind of keep an eye toward when it doesn't feel like it's flowing like it doesn't feel like it's easy because once you push past that point it's very tempting even unconsciously to just start making stuff up to fill the empty space yeah Mm-hmm. And that's where you start to just go off the rails. You're no longer accurate. Uh, I know when I do like portals to hell and stuff these days, one, once the blindfold's on, I have no, I have no damn sense of time, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm guessing that my sessions last uh, upwards of 90 minutes, no more than two hours. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a point after that where I'm like, no, I'm getting tired. I'm, I am done. Like I have picked up everything I'm going to pick up. And if I'm not picking anything up at this point, I'm done. Uh, but that's after, you know, decades of doing that kind of work. And I have, I would say, less time spent doing that kind of psychic work. Mm. Um, I mean, for sure. But <laughs> also, a lot of the impressions that I get if I'm, for example, trying to talk to disembodied in the house, in the basement, they come through really fast, mm. which is also my experience of, like, if I'm projecting something, doing will work, trying to, like set a clear intention like that happens probably within 30 seconds to a minute oh like it's, it's, it's this huge freaking info dump and then i spend most of the rest of the time yeah. just like peeling it back and going what what was all of that and, like like my brain's trying to open a zip file and the one time <laughs> i would say that works differently is that there's there's been a few times when we've had ritual space set up mm. and i feel like that state has been prolonged almost indefinitely and I wonder if that would be the same for other people, if there's mm. a way to create a container mm. um, with, you know, either housekeeper ritual with your own, like, way of casting sacred space that would... Coffee! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fuzz. Um, Mr. Louis taking yeah. a seat. Sorry, Sorry Larry. <laughs> with all that, like, if there's a way to use sacred space to extend that window without also tripping over the, like, very human tendency to try to fill in gaps if things aren't just flowing easily so so the first yeah. step with that for experiments actually happened over in like you know patio track uh years ago uh kess kess would remember what year maybe 2008 2009 we were at the sheridan and it was like that that upper level uh and multiple people brought different types of sensing equipment 
Yeah. And there was like a thing for galvanic skin response. Yeah. There was that random number generator like hooked up to the computer, like to <laughs> recognize like whether or not it's becoming statistically no longer random. Uh, and they were just throwing everything they had. It was an EMF reader, like, like all of it. And so they were measuring people doing triumvirate work and doing energy exchange and doing energy balls. And the thing like I wandered through, uh, which the best thing about doing this in person is, you know, there's all of these people under one roof. Everybody's excited about trying stuff. Half of us don't sleep at that point. Like, like the classes have stopped and the experiments continue. And 3 a.m. just wandering through the hotel as you're like, I swear I'm going to my room. You like just take a left turn into experiment land. <laughs> and in this case, uh, someone had posited, what if sacred space, what if ritual space, you're actually setting up something real energetically. And I'm like, well, of course we are. But what if that somehow is changing the energy? And I'm like, well, that's what it feels like. What if we can measure that? So Kess, who has, uh, who is a heavy hitter and is well-trained for doing that. And I, I uh, stood face to face and between the two of us, we agreed on like making a shape and creating space within that and having very clear boundaries for it. Now, the first cool thing was we did not verbally confirm with one another until we'd shaped it. And then we, we, we knew exactly where those limits were. Uh, and the thing that was really cool was it was the random number generator. And they just they had it on the outside as we were setting stuff up. And like nothing was happening. So they got the bright idea to walk it closer to us and walk it closer to us. And then as it crossed the line that we invisibly perceived and were holding, it started to shift to be significantly less random. And the more it got into that intentionally organized space, the more organized the chaos became in the random number generator. And I just wanted to stay for the next three days playing with that. <laughs> that sounds oh my God, like that's spectacular. such a cool piece of kit oh my gosh i can just so, right but, but like the <laughs> idea then um is what happens if you go to a haunted location or what happens if you're doing a psychic experiment and you set up ritual space first and you hold that and you do the work inside of that what effect does that have on the people on how easy it is on their stamina uh, like, like, what does that change about how we interface with reality? Uh, and I, I feel like I heard you mention even that a little earlier today with the idea. There was a question uh, when when doing the, the Saturday Connection rituals. You mentioned it felt mm-hmm. actually physically laborious at first, like you were actually mm-hmm. lifting and pulling and, and getting everyone into a space. But once that space had been created and um, kind of wrote into some people's memory, folks knew what they were doing that it became a lot less so and actually became, eh, I don't want to say walk in the park, but something way more accustomed to that. Much, much easier because it's not just me like main forcing the thing. Like everybody's like, oh, this is how this works. And like, we're actually raising it together, which is really kind of the point of teaching people like, hey, guess what? You can connect beyond where your physical body is. And like, there's this whole like realm that you can think of it as another dimension or you can think of it as psychic space or subtle reality, astral space, whatever you want to call it, it's there. So take a little trip and feel this. Like actually just get your fingers in it and, and see how that feels. Take a little trip. 
<laughs> this is what we're here for. I love it. I love it, I love it so much. Um, Elyria, I kind of have a question for you. Well, actually, I have a question for both of you. But mm. uh, you said that when you were getting some psychic information um, that sometimes it would come in really, really fast. Um, do you, either of you have experience with somebody who is neurodivergent, like somebody who has ADHD, to where you can process it better because your brain's already moving really, really fast? Mm. I feel like we're probably like neither of us is diagnosed with ADHD. I think, but based on the number of tests <laughs> I was put through in school and the uh, scores on those tests, I can probably say I'm neurodivergent in some direction. Um, <laughs> I'm just weird. So and <laughs> me too. <laughs> that probably shows with just like the amount of information I can process in mm-hmm. in a, a period of time. Uh, again, not diagnosed with ADHD, uh, although like at this point I'm starting to go, okay, so there's a lot of, there's some interesting stuff going on. Experiential with parallels with mm-hmm. people who have, them. I mean, what I can definitely say is I, I actually, so, so I've, I've gotten this theory that it's less that I'm like super psychic and more that I have an ability to process more information mm-hmm. in a span of time that other people may not. So like, I've got like the super high, like, you know, 1080t graphics like thing going on so i've just got a better processor uh so so like it can just chunk through the numbers a little bit better um and you know that's that's not you know here or there or whatever it's just there's a lot that i can process quickly it's, it's also why like people are like how many of those books have you read and I'm like um i read a lot fast <laughs> like really fast and it doesn't seem fast to me when i'm doing it so i i, I do think <laughs> that there's an element there for people um, and, and it's another aspect of why, like, I'm always trying to tell people, like, there's no wrong way to do this. And just because you're not connecting mm-hmm. or doing it a certain way doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. We are all wired differently. I loved seeing that, like, explicitly stated in Matt's presentation, where we all approach information differently. We all process information differently. It's not that one of us is better or worse than anybody else. We're and just literally different. I would add to that. I don't think that it necessarily hurts or helps to have a particular style of processing. I think mm-hmm. you, know, you can still pick up the information, like hold it carefully, process it in whatever way you do, mm-hmm. even if you don't have as good a graphics card as mm-hmm. a Zosh, well, <laughs> like well, running in your brain all the time. I think about your grandmother. So, so Illyria's uh, maternal grandmother was Dr. Vera Rubin, and she's why we know dark matter exists. And we know this because, I mean, first of all, she's she's wicked cool, but she sat down and just went through all of the data, like, like, like tallied and calculated and like a task that a lot of other people, especially the, the white guys in her industry, just felt were beneath them to sort through all of that. She actually picked the area she picked to study because she thought it wouldn't be very controversial. And as an upcoming woman scientist. She just wanted to do the work. Mm-hmm. And of course, then she stumbles on, I mean, not stumbles, like there was a lot of deliberate thought mm. put into it, but, but the way you describe it is actually the best way I've heard it described is that with the equations she was able to come up with to describe the movement of matter in like far flung reaches of the galaxy, it became clear that, that there was a negative space. Yeah. There was something missing that because there's no way to explain the way the edges of galaxies move unless there's a lot more mass involved mm-hmm. than what we can measure. So that's what dark matter is. It's matter that we can't 
see. But it took somebody with a mind that was detail-oriented and patient and like able to hyper-focus on all of those details Mm -hmm. to go through all of that in sort of like a computational way. Uh, It reminds me a little bit of uh, Ada Lovelace. Mm. In, in the level of like like the, the, the yeah the, the brain being a computer and like sitting down and, and being a computer and that level of mm. detail and organization lending to like the discoveries and the things that they they accomplished. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> we have some questions here from Chad. I'd like yeah. to pull in as well. Uh, let me see. Kay, you had one here. It's uh, back to our conversation about, I think this is when we were talking about the um, kind of the, the strongest point in, in doing some perception. They said, uh, and there's an aspect of how our expectations can shape reality, also tied into the cards here, mm-hmm. and outcomes. So how can we prevent expectations or intrusive thoughts into our, coming into our paranormal research? Well, <laughs> it's not even paranormal research. The simple act of designing an experiment we can't remove our expectations entirely and the influence of our expectations uh i recently so there is uh i'll have to find the link two fellows both scientists were doing this study it started with one of them and he he was a side believer he wasn't necessarily framing it as a parapsychological experiment but you know that technique where like you know somebody's staring at you and you just look over there well he was trying (laughs) to like see if that's really a thing or if it's just our confirmation bias that you know that we that one person looked and we just haven't noticed the five others so we set up an experiment to have a person come in and you know the way psych experiments go uh usually you tell them that they're in there for something completely different and unrelated so they're in there to like you know sit down and like you know fill something out and at the same time somebody's in another room behind a a, you know mirrored one-way thing and that person's job is to stare at them at a certain point and see if that person looks around to see who's like, like what's going on. And there was like some galvanic skin response stuff to measure. Okay. So scientist a, who is a side believer, his experiment absolutely said there is something psychic or something, you know, non-physical about humans that when they're stared at, even if they can't see the person staring at them, they respond. Okay. So another dude who didn't believe in psychic stuff was like bull crap. And I will prove you wrong by doing every single thing in your experiment and show that you didn't get it right. Same experiment, exactly the opposite result. And in something that doesn't often happen, they decided to team up and check one another. So they did their experiment together. They made sure that every step of the way, each of them was involved in you know, the computer programs, the setting up, the everything else. And then the only difference was a, a, a 50-50 mix. Half of the people... Scientist A was the person in charge of them, which is to say that pretty much he was like, here, have your thing, fill it out, go into that room. The glorified yeah. yeah. <laughs> 50% went to scientist B. These were like completely a, a blind thing. Scientist A's people were psychic. Scientist B's people were not. There are some very deep ways that yeah. expectations. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot in reality. And, and like, you know, they're, they're writing their conclusion going, did he hack my computer? What the? <laughs> so, so the thing is, is like, we do 
if, if, if that is true, like if all of that is equal, if, if we can reproduce stuff like that, something about how we expect reality to work, perhaps, or it seems to, influence reality. Now, anybody who's a witch, who practices magic, who does any of that is like, well, duh. <laughs> but to see it in a laboratory setting is also like, huh. But that's a lot of influence on reality right there. But what does that say about all the rest of our experiments? Because, I mean, also, like, like in, in, in my psych labs, like, you learn really early on how easy it is to skew the results mm -hmm. of a, a thing. Like, you can totally intentionally set something up with the intent of proving exactly what you wanted to prove. And if nobody calls you on your bullshit, you, you will get away with it. Um, so it can become a total e echo chamber. It is, it's Hapgood's law. You only find what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. But if you are truly trying to be the most unbiased the most like withdrawn, just scientific observer, but you still have a thought of what it's supposed to be doing. How much are you changing it? If you actually manage to like not have expectations, do you just not find the thing? Right, you would find right. if like, you had how, expectations. How many people who, who <laughs> do like a, a, a psych test, um, psychic thing, like with with Zener cards or anything else, who are like, I don't believe in this shit. I don't believe in this shit. And what they get is actually like a negative result. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things we took into account with the uh, psychic aptitude cards is if you get a statistically anomalous number wrong, that's also an indication of some level of psychic ability because you're actually biasing yourself against what, like, like to be that wrong, you have to know what was right. A random like random That's guessing would get you one in six. Mm -hmm. so if it's less yeah, so so if you're like completely not random in one degree or another, you're still doing a thing. You're still doing it. It's just your intent and your influence is basically sabotaging yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of this for me actually gets back to the idea of the child's mind. Mm. Like just being like if you can get yourself into that state where you are just imagining something without all the caveats that I feel like our adult brains want us to put on things, that magic feels much more powerful to me. Uh, mm -hmm. N.K. Jemison actually talks about it in uh, The Inheritance of the Broken Earth trilogy. I don't remember which one, but there's one of the gods in that series whose magic actually only works when they're embodied. Actually, all the gods, their, their magic works more powerfully when they're embodying perfectly their own principles and one of the gods' principles is childlikeness. And at the point that that character starts to get too into worrying about how things are working and like thinking about other people and what they're up to, their power starts to drain away. And they have to go back to being this like this childlike, playful, ridiculous character mm -hmm. in order to get their magic back. And that felt so deeply true to me when I read it. It's always mm. stuck. Yeah, you definitely have child mind. <laughs> Yes. Not I, in a I, bad way. I but feel like, it. Like I, I am married to an embodiment of chaos and whimsy, and I'm just, just accepting my fate. You're <laughs> going to have fun. Yep. <laughs> I, I like, completely like, agree with that because in my own practice for the longest time, I was trying to be too, I guess you could say, up there with, you know, trying to get it right, trying to improve, mm. trying to be best, and all this. And then, of course, one of my deities, who's Loki, comes in. And he's like, no, we're going to just completely erase all of this and just fuck everything up. So there you go. 
So yeah, no, I, I I get the whole childlike thing. That's so cool. I love it. Well, it's just in, in like ritual and magic. Uh, one of the things that I learned really early on was, as as a little baby practitioner, you know, in my early twenties, I'm there, and there's like you know all, everybody like trying to be a Wiccan, trying to be a pagan, whatever. Uh, and it's a lot of college groups and folks who are if if they try really hard, that must mean that it's working, that they're like doing it right. So it has to be just this precise and this, Mm -hmm. and it's rigid. And they're like reading like these long orations and trying to make it official enough to be real. And it loses almost everything. Like it's, well, first of all, it's tedious if you're, if you're in that circle. And second of all, that's not how the energy moves. Like, you know, you're just like, I'm reciting the thing. And now we move the athame this way. And now we move the chalice this way and put the two together and it's hierogamous. But even that's a little too, it was, so I was like, all right, what, what if we allowed for play, for accidents, for spontaneity mm-hmm. within the core of that? And then that's why there's, um, with Kepin Ritual, there's those, there's the charge and there's the prayer, uh, which are like the, really the only things that are set in stone. Because I learned we also do respond to psychological touchstones of familiarity, things that sort of like help set the stage. And then everything else inside of that can be, can be like, whoops, you dropped the chalice, make that part of the ritual, like, like a little bit more of a, an approach to uh, theater mm-hmm. and adapting to theater and then like letting it be improv and ad hoc and allowing everyone to move with the flow of the moment and that particular mix of people and sort of riff off of one another. And that, that's what works for me. Um, and I love it. Brittany in chat is it has a good a comment. They're building off of the no expectations. They say, is there truly no way to go into something with no expectations? Is it possible the subconscious holds the expectations versus the conscious? And is there a way to control that? I mean, a lot of especially like Buddhist or Zen meditation techniques are about training yourself to just have this sort of like empty hand the sort of cupped hands and receptive mindset where you just allow things to flow. And I do think it's possible to get to that point, but I think it takes an immense amount of training and practice and discipline. Uh, And also probably a lot of therapy Mm -hmm. to get through like all of your stuff and, and really like learn how to get out of your own way. I have a slightly different take on it. Okay. please. So it, it may be a more uh, like, bull in the china shop approach um that's on that's on, that's on, that's on <laughs> <laughs> but i feel like there is a way or at least i've i've been able a few times to harness what feels like an ability to project not maybe my own deeply held beliefs but to think like almost to have a mantra that is focused on holding space for something to take whatever form it takes. Mm. So rather than saying, you know, you have to work through all the expectations that you're not aware yet that you're even mm-hmm. holding in your subconscious. Mm-hmm. What if you can focus on saying my, my highest goal for this experiment is to see one of the most exciting things that the universe is able to tell me through it and just like leave space for whatever that is, but also kind of invite the magic in, in that mm-hmm. process. I feel like that's how I would approach it if I mm. if I wanted to do something like, you know, next week and yeah. didn't have time to 
dig into my dark depths well, fully I, before then. I still think a certain level of non-attachment, at least mm-hmm. to the fear of failure, to the pressure to perform, like to just be like, yeah. I'm in it for an experience, whatever that might be. That curiosity, yeah. I think, helps anchor it in a way that mm-hmm. can make mm-hmm. it feel more real than just saying, like, I want there to be nothing that I am projecting onto this. This is 100% us. Cerebral, <laughs> cold, disciplined, <laughs> child mind. Complete with me. Art approaches that work. <laughs> I, I just, I mentioned back to Brittany, I think people in chat would really, really enjoy this. If people know from YouTube, um, Michael from Vsauce, that... He was doing a YouTube, I think it was YouTube Premium or whatever they were calling this. And I think it's free to everyone now. But there's a series called Mindfield. And they went through Mm. and YouTube gave them money to go and actually assist researchers. Um, They did things like, uh, well, they did a lot. um, Placebo effect, many, many different ones. But the one that comes to mind, I think it's just called the box experiment where they would hook you up with some EEGs to a simple box with a red light slash button. And the test was, can you press the button before it lights up? And statistically, not possible. Now, that's only one experiment. But the implication was that a lot of our thoughts coming out of the subconscious hit our conscious mind second. So I... That just in a magical way, speaking to this, you know, magical sense we're going on about today, that's one that just kind of changed and and redirected my way of thinking about stuff. Because if my subconscious, well, it gave me a whole new appreciation for what the subconscious could do. Let me say that without, yeah, without, lots going on there. Yeah. Without diving too far into that, I would just recommend to people like definitely check out that series. It should be free and really available. That I think it fun. is free because I think you sent it to me. Mindfield. <laughs> yeah. So Mindfield, so everybody. Good. Jot that down. Thank you. Fall asleep to that tonight afterwards. <laughs> but it comes back around this whole idea. And I saw we had some questions again further building upon it. There's one uh, the barrier up here had. I'm sorry. Oh, I already copy pasted it. This one goes a little bit more into the, the idea of residual energy. Um, so there's was one of. In the case of residual ghosts slash energy, what do you think is holding them slash it here? Mm. It can't be the will of the entity if it's not sentient, which is where the idea of subconscious comes back around Mm. to me. My experience with residual stuff is objects, items, stuff holds imprints that like in the same way that when we walk through a room and we leave fingerprints behind and we leave, you know, a, you can put your hand on a wall because we had, we had, to, we had to test this. <laughs> if you put your hand on a wall, the ambient heat in your hand will warm up that wall for a period of time. Eventually it will fade. But if you have a FLIR camera to measure heat and you put your hand on the wall and you walk away, your hand's not there anymore. Your handprint will linger for 15, 20 minutes. Uh, and the reason we had to figure that out was there was a handprint on a wall in one of the Paranormal State episodes that was there for way longer than should have been, like, anything. Like, and the only reason we even had a FLIR camera was I had been doing a, a vampire thing on a completely unrelated stuff. And some of the energy work seemed to show up as heat on a FLIR camera. And they were just pointing this thing at me the whole time while I was doing psychic stuff. And this handprint is like, is suddenly behind me on, on this thing in this this old like coal miner's house. 
And it, it makes sense to me to uh, go oh, ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh. Oh, to, to think of residual hauntings as that handprint mm-hmm. rather than the hand that made them. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. is like we have an impact on our environment and that impact can linger. And depending on what, that, that was the other thing, is what substance that wall was made out of mm-hmm. determined how long that heat would be held. So if it had been stone versus concrete versus clapboard, all of those had a different impact on how long that would linger if you made this imprint. Now, if we think of this this, this heat as uh, human emotion, human experiences, like what we leave behind in spaces, we also, I mean, anecdotally know uh, that what things are made out of seems to matter. Anecdotally, is it are there stones in the area, like stone tape theory? Like, is there something that's got like a lot of crystal in it? Is it a building that's really, really old? Well, what part about that building or is the, it the very building itself and how long it's been exposed to this stuff over time? Uh, is it a flashpoint experience that seems to like the shadows at Hiroshima to just burn itself into the space? Because there are definitely experiences that are almost like the psychic equivalent of an atomic bomb that then leave that impression for who knows how long. I, as we're getting by the way to the the top of the hour here Mm. and I've got a couple more. I don't want to keep you guys awake all night because I know we have more tomorrow, (laughs) (laughs) but I think we can work in some of these last ones. Sorrow heart earlier said, have it on my list of bucket list things to get my own EEG and head sensors set up for to record scrying and active dreaming. And I wanted to add, because I think this, you mentioned Inspiration House early, Michelle, and us potentially doing some sort of collab like that, that we just got access um, to a program called Biofield Reader. And I think this group would go wild for it. I don't know if you've mm. seen it or played with it before, but it's a uh, bioimaging software. So it takes your camera and then pulls in extra of the light source around and then translates that into colors and spectrums like that. The idea being that large places like the Monroe Institute in Virginia and such use these during some of their classes and have found with energy work that it projects these wonderful, like you can track auras on walls and and all of that sort of connection. So with the idea of playing with EEGs and the such, I am now extraordinarily eager to see what what this crew would do with that Mm. technology. Yeah, because I I like I like experiments. (laughs) I just don't usually get a whole lot of like one of the reasons that I started working with the the teams on TV, I was like, they have access to toys. I want access to the toys. At this point, we, we could probably just pick up some toys and well, yeah. I mean, I'm do I, some experiments. Yeah. There's there's definitely some stuff to play oh, with. Boy, <laughs> the problem was is like, man, back in like the nineties, eighties, nineties, and and aughts, the toys that were out there, I would be like, I'm really excited. Here's here's a Kirlian camera, and the History Channel whips out no joke. Somebody's like hacked up. Polaroid. It is it is a Polaroid camera on a box mm-hmm. that they've got like a little metal plate inside this box that I stick my hand on that had, let me tell you, a couple of like little electrodes that were not grounded. So I ended up with like a heck of a burn. Um <laughs> and I'm like, that's not a this is not how this is supposed to work, guys. Like this is where did you get this? They oh it's a Kirlian camera. I'm like, no, this is this is not. This is somebody who really kind of took 
a lot of liveries with a Polaroid. Um, and this is not going to be reliable. They didn't care. I mean, that was also the first thing where I'm like, but you're the history channel. It says history. Okay, but also liberties with the Polaroid is the name of my new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So anyway, there has been a lot of really neat research and development. Uh, and, and folks like, like, like Josh Light and, and everybody who's like, okay, I've got a degree in this. And I also believe in this other stuff. And how do these two things converge? So some really cool toys have come out of it. And some things where I'm like, I don't know about that. Like people will be like, what do you think about the blah insert thing? And I'm like, do I have a poker face? Do I have a poker face? <laughs> <laughs> I have had mixed results with that myself and I'm a little skeptical. <laughs> Sometimes have a really good poker face. It's confusing. I've had to work on live TV <laughs> trying to convince like slavering at the mouth ultra Christians <laughs> that it was not an international fucking conspiracy of satanic vampires that abducted this girl from Atlanta just because she ended up in Washington State because obviously thanks to Twilight that's where all the vampires live Oh, no. Actually, I left them in Ohio. But actually, <laughs> poor kid ran away because dad locked her pretty much in the room and took all her shit away because she was goth and she needed to be Christian as far as he was concerned. And I had to do that on like CNN headline news and live link satellite and, and might have had Hannity coming at me. So oh, I needed to have a freaking poker face. And that is the story how uh, Zosh developed a poker face. You can still find that. Like, like if you Google that, the CNN headline news vampire. Who's going to find like, that? Like, yeah, there's a point, like, they had me on a second time where I'm just like, I'm not at the place where it's like my face. So they've got like one of my photos. It's one of the worst ones. It's actually one of the ones where somebody like grabbed it and uh, it turned into a meme that says, prepare your anus. <laughs> that's that's a real thing. That that's a real thing. <laughs> oh. oh and, and like, yeah. Yeah, I've had some experiences. <laughs> I, I feel like we just need to do like a podcast of like Michelle's just experiences. Yeah. <laughs> I have crammed a lot into nearly 50 years. <laughs> uh, Brittany has a follow-up with this. I, oh, I like this one. This is a good one. We too. get us back. <laughs> I mean, I, I, listen, I, I'm all in love. We, Brittany's is asking, uh, what is your advice on going to famous haunted locations? I love this because we were kind of touching Oof. on on some of these. Um, but also, Peggy and I have recently been talking about how to ethically investigate. So mm. what's your opinion on going to ha famous haunted locations and discerning psychic info coming from a location versus former paranormal investigators if at all possible don't know where you're going but i mean that's obviously not going to be the case for people especially if you're like an amateur person and you're just like hey i want to see what other people have experienced at waverly <clears throat> so there's a lot of stuff that you have probably heard about waverly uh what i'd say is go in with just child mind experience whatever comes up to you record all of it as much as you can but then once you're done with the experience take a good hard assessment of all right if all i'm doing is getting stuff about tuberculosis is that front loading can i really like a hundred percent trust that but is there information i'm getting that is new 
information that doesn't agree with what has been popularized. And can I research that or can someone around me research that to verify whether or not that's true? Because one of the things about some of the famous places is the stories that everybody knows aren't right. Some of them are just stories. Some of them are uh, like local legends that have no basis in like actual fact. And there may still be other things there that are different from that. But because it doesn't fit the script, everyone's come to accept all the TV shows will tell you the same story over and over again, regardless of what's happened there. And sometimes the folks on the TV shows are just wrong because they want things to be spooky. Uh, my favorite example of that was Ghost Nation with uh, Grant and his little team went to Madison Seminary out here in Ohio. And they were so hot to find demonic activity that honestly got a shuffleboard design on the floor their little occult expert decided was satanic like it was proof of satanic rituals it was a sigil of something um and and one of the people who worked there and helps restore the place is a student former student of mine and she does a lot of spontaneous writing and a lot of sigil work and so they used her honestly, blessings and protections that she painted on the walls in a couple of places as proof that evil rituals had happened. And she's like, bitch, I did those. <laughs> and this is, and they went, they went back and forth. I guess the, the fellow who was like, I, he, he doubled down on, no, this, this is, this is a satanic thing. And like, they were just going back and forth. Uh, Mufasa, I think. Uh, Becca Kirschbaum and Mufasa, like just, I think they still, like will occasionally just Flash butt heads mind. over it, and she's like, "Look, honey, <laughs> look." Further proof of like, you like find what you're looking for, even when you're being told it's yeah. wrong. Bingo, Elyria, yeah. that's it. So, so sometimes what you see on TV isn't isn't mm -hmm. isn't that isn't what's going to actually be there. So, if you get something that's different, explore it. If you get something especially that disagrees with what everybody else thinks happened there, explore mm -hmm. it and see if you can prove it. Mm -hmm. Because that's that's your little pot of gold there. We, we've had quite a few episodes on Chaos and Shadow where we've done that, where we've come across a lore that was just completely, totally wrong and just awful. And we end up telling the truth and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I like telling the truth and squashing people's dreams. <laughs> Makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> how so many neat new things like if nobody did that we wouldn't have most of the stories we have now mm -hmm. like, well and, and it's no fun to not do and there's always the possibility that enough people to put enough focus and energy toward the story that now there is something that is perceptible <laughs> now there is something that people experience something that I've, I've wanted to do as a side project is try to find in the annals of paranormal history and investigations whether or not prior to the airing of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, mm. how many people, if any, saw little girls in white dresses walking up and down the halls in a hotel, any hotel, or had the sense of some person on a tricycle or on a little bike, little boy up and down the halls, because this is something that is like dug into our collective memory and imagination. And I, I'm, I'm one of two thoughts, several thoughts about it. But one is that now it gives people a language to interpret something that they are perceiving, that there is a presence there. And it sort of ends up filling the container of their expectation. 
something's moving up and down here. Oh, obviously it's a boy on a tricycle. Why do I assume that? Well, don't even think about like how often we have been saturated by that Mm -hmm. or how often we've been saturated by the idea of like, here's television and it's static and now there are voices coming through it. They're here. Like, like all of these things, pop culture shapes the language of our mind and understanding both how that helps us and also how sometimes that will mislead us is really important. And additionally, how that can sometimes create new things. That takes me back to the gatherer the exorcist year. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Kermit the Frog uh, panel and how Kermit becomes a god and all mm-hmm. that. I, it, you were just talking about that and I was like, oh, yeah, I, it's all resonating how pop culture can affect so much. I love it. I, I know of an experiment that somebody is currently doing and it is like a long, long game, like like year, year and a half level experiment about a thought form. And I'm eager to see what the results are with how that plays out and when they are able to do the reveal. Um, that sounds absolutely fascinating. You mentioned the shadow earlier, um, the writer having it created a character that was stalking the halls and seen by other people. I especially love that you said that it creates potentially a language in people's heads, because that's something Pagan and I have really resonated with as well, is the idea of enhancing that lexicon of knowledge in your own head that dictionary and that comes from us um a katie webb who spoke at phenomenacon uh when you were there michelle and that just i don't know that's really resonated in the idea that expanding what we believe to be possible might allow whatever it is to communicate in other ways so when i'm speaking to someone especially recently i had a conversation with my mother about a similar topic where she was asking about things that are scary, and I said, well, you know, expanding your lexicon, that's that's one of the best ways to try to discern what it actually might be. I think if you do expect whatever it is to present itself in a negative or malevolent light, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the response you get, because you might be pigeonholing it in. Well, and I mean, consider someone reports an experience where they are out by themselves at night, they see a bunch of dancing lights, something seems to swoop down on them and they lose time. And then they wake up in a field and there's a circle around them in the the wheat or whatever it is. Was that a UFO abduction or were they carried off by the fairies dancing? Because those are point for point, the exact Mm. same things that people would report. And are they literally the same thing, but folks at a certain time really only thought it was fairies and didn't have this idea that there could possibly be craft from another world. And people at a certain time in our culture are like, well, yep, little things, they don't look human. And there's obviously they came here in, in spaceships because, and look, it's, it's round, it's circular. So it must've been a saucer and they're using like different cultural language Mm -hmm. to point to something, clearly something that's happened, but and maybe both of those may be wrong and there's something else. That also stands out that one of the, the earlier UFO reports, uh, I believe from the 1800s being that of airships, uh, mm-hmm. more like dirigible style Zeppelin blimp deals, mm-hmm. uh, that it matched the technology level that people would have been more familiar with. And I think that says an awful lot about us interacting with the phenomena at large, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. it might be how we're painting, again, our interactions based on what we know and the language we can use for it. 
It, it makes sense if you understand the way the human brain works. Uh, we, we are wired for pattern recognition. Like we're taking all of this data and all of this experience and our, our brain goes, this looks like this, this is like this, I'm going to relate it to this experience and this is how I internalize it and process it. I've got a story about this. Okay. This is <gasps> before, before I ever met yeah. Josh. Yeah. I was on a backpacking trip and at night, you know, out in this remote place, there's no technology, there's no plugs, nothing. We're just like in Yosemite, but away from the main valley. Um, there was a green light. And I don't have an explanation for how any of this worked, but the light was maybe half a mile away. I was guessing across a lake. And at first it was just holding still and then it moved. So it clearly couldn't have been someone like with a green light across the mm -hmm. lake, you know, with a, a phone or whatever. And then it moved really fast and then moved really fast back. And I wrote this down in my journal that night that I happened to have with me because I knew that if I didn't, I would forget that it had happened the way it did mm -hmm. because that's what, that's what brains do. Like I had mm -hmm. other experiences yeah. and, and not like written them down as close to when they happened and I, I don't at this point remember the details clearly enough to say what I just said. Like, mm -hmm. I remember that because I recorded it. I'm really glad I did. Was your dad with you for that one? Yeah. My and, dad also saw it. Yeah. Dad is also a scientist, a geologist. Yeah. None of us. There were four of yeah. us there. A computer scientist, an English teacher, a geologist, and moi. Uh, yeah, because they're related to just, they're all like brainiacs, collegiate, <laughs> like like all academic, <laughs> sciencey people. and, and Yeah. And none of us have an explanation for that. And I think that's, that's one of the best illustrations yeah. I have of like, you know, if we don't already understand what something is, there is that temptation to be like, well, it, you know, it must've been someone with a really powerful flashlight beam. Only flashlights don't reach that far. Yeah. If you can't like, rationalize it, there is a level of cognitive drift that happens. Yeah. I agree. Ugh. I think one of the last questions we have tonight from chat, and I think this is a beautiful one. Brittany posted this to kind of just extrapolate on to whatever degree you two would like. Um, but this one was from earlier. Is there a topic that was not or will not be covered during this gather that you're currently passionate about? It's a little open-ended so for you. <laughs> do, do, do you want to jump oh, into gosh. something? I mean, so I've had a couple of ideas of classes that I would like to run, but they specifically require people to be in a place and mm. interact with that place and the energy of place. Uh, I mean, that's one of my like recurring go-to topics. And it's one of the only ones that I feel like it would be much more challenging to teach virtually. Not impossible, mm. but while there is still this sense of like, perhaps next year we can go back and do things in person. Like that's how I conceive of it working best um for me that's the one that then mm. popped into mind first there'd there, be others that come up past lives and reincarnation seems like the the likeliest because it's usually a topic that we circle back to mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> unintentional pun there Help. Um, because it's, a, it's 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 kind of a fundamental part of a lot of my experience and a lot of like how mm -hmm. most of the folks in the house connect uh and so the, i usually try to take it from a couple of different perspectives like there's the this is what reincarnation is, and I'm going to put on my academic hat and talk about how it is approached in multiple different, you know, religions and traditions. And there's also um, 
various times where I will do a re, like a, a past life regression for people with the caveat that that large, massive group regressions always means that there's like a bell curve of people who really have a good experience. And then there's people who f- just fucking fall asleep. And that's OK, because that's just mm-hmm. how some people and there's some people who are like, I'm staring at the insides of my eyelids and getting nothing. Mm-hmm. And then almost always at least one person who can't remember what they got but has a fucking breakdown because of whatever it was. Um, always at least one. Uh, but I mean, the class that I've never like really done at Gather was like, okay, so this is what I personally believe about this. Like these are my personal experiences and how I've proven stuff to myself to, to a degree that I'm like, I don't commit to like a hundred percent belief for anything, mm-hmm. but I will say I have enough evidence that i find incontrovertible that this is one of the things that i'm like yeah this is this is real for me i love it i love it too this has been absolutely phenomenal um i will toss one last quickie in here sorrow asks Mm -hmm. if you don't and this is kind of a leery i think to your conversation about the light if you don't have a recording medium present are there any tips or tricks you guys have Mm -hmm. Uh, for locking those types of experiences into your memory for later recall. Hmm. It's a little... Yeah, yeah. no, before I wrote down that thing with the green light, like, I talked about it with everybody else who was there. Like, we all compared notes as we were, like, looking at it, being like, guys, what, are you seeing that? Is that, that's moving really fast. That can't be a flashlight. That can't be this. Like, there was Mm. a breakdown in the moment. Like, and and a conversation for some people is going to be easier to remember than just Mm -hmm. like witnessing a thing and then being like, what the fuck? So if there are ways that you can, I would say like, if nobody else is there, like talk to yourself about it, just say a couple sentences. Like I saw a green light that I can't explain and like repeat that a little. Yeah. Find some way to like verbally process the experience. Cause, cause one of the tricky things and and as a writer, when I'm creating, like that's something that Mm -hmm. you like, if you just keep it in here, the boundaries get can get a little wibbly like you can just lose it but if you even if you haven't like written it down actually for me and this might just be how linguistically like tied i am even if i were to like like in like like actually like write it out on my arm with my fingernail like not expecting it to to linger but to actually like engage in the act of putting words to it mm-hmm. would would help or like you know stick on the ground or something like again not expecting that to to last but engaging in this act of, I am expressing this, I am recording this, I am making it real in this, the world. This gives me a beautiful idea. Uh, so I have a couple, a couple of standard noises. Um, if you tap my forehead, it goes oh. tapo. If you tap my nose, it goes traitor. Uh, and if you tap down here, I think it goes cunning, but I always forget that one. Wicked, was, was, in the, Wicked was in there it, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it gets a little confusing. If you don't already have a nose noise, <laughs> consider making green light or whatever your experience is. Like, just like, like tap. So, tap so fingers, as ridiculous as ridiculous as that is, like actually, it, it ties into that theater of memory yeah. idea of. Yeah. Taking the memory and anchoring it to a thing. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. If not, like, pick up a stone and hold that stone and like recite. This is what happened, and this is my reminder of it. Like, yeah. like finding yeah. some tactile thing mm-hmm. that engages you on a couple of different sensory levels that can at least remind you. Because if nothing else, you put the stone in your pocket, and the next time you pull that stone out, you'll be like, "Why do I? Oh, that thing. 
How did I forget that sex? And I'm so glad you're here to make my nose noises make sense. Yes, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's been a long weekend. Uh, my mind might be stuck on the list. It's all on fire. I mean, given that your falling asleep exercise is to just go hike the trails in the, yeah. the Grand Canyon. Oh, I think that's so awesome. I loved that sort of stuff as well. That's that's phenomenal. Michelle, so Illyria, this this has been so, so fun. This has been our little after party for uh, the evening, yeah. and I've just had a total, total blast. Chat, thank you all for the wonderful questions out there. This was yeah. so good. I hope we got to tie in a lot of the concepts people had questions lingering from from earlier today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle has come by and done some amazing interviews on our podcast, Chaos and Shadow. Mm-hmm. So if people want to get those, that's up on Spotify, iTunes, all the good places you can download podcast you could go on a total binge fall asleep to those tonight again i think michelle you've come by (laughs) for i think two in a bonus episode at this point so you guys got like three hours worth of content if you Mm -hmm. want to go listen also i mean you you also get some pretty cool people so like i know you've had john tenney on there yep tenney's like like zackcroft yeah devin hunter matt aron all of the wonderful people dream teams Seriously. No, people have been, I mean, that that's the takeaway that I think Pagan and I have really been thankful for is just that coming into um, the paranormal, occult, and magical spaces and beyond, people have been just so accessible and welcoming. And you are very, very, very much on that list of people that just immediately say, yes, I will be there and showed up and was just super phenomenal. So thank you for, for having faith in us to present you and your message in, in the, the, the appropriate light. I hope that that's something that always comes through with our guests is that we really just love to revel in the knowledge that you share so openly. So truly thank you. Thank you from us. It really does come through. Yeah. I no, like, I, I really think I that's why everybody says yes fun. is yeah. like, but, oh. <laughs> everyone says yes goodbye (laughs) oh maybe we're all gone (laughs) well (laughs) oh oh is back we're on a different device now because decided that we weren't on it on there anymore can you hear us we can hear you we can hear you (laughs) yay we're back (laughs) it decided we were done and also but i want what i want to say is it is your excitement i think that ignites everyone else's interest because it is clear that you are genuine you are exuberant you just love learning and it just that's infectious and uh especially for any of us who've been doing this for decades like it's so good (laughs) to see people who are like i just want to learn shove all of it in my head all at once (laughs) it's so funny because after every interview that we've done with you and most of our guests it's the same thing where kyle and i will get done and we'll go back into a call and we're just like my brain has melted out my ears but can i listen (laughs) to them talk for like four more hours please (laughs) It is so, so true. Uh, Thank you both so much. Oh, my Uh, gosh. Like I said, thank you for having us. I see that we have up the beautiful screen telling people tomorrow, 11 (laughs) a.m., resuming with channeling, astral projection, defense, uh, or defense, yeah, using psychic multidimensional constructs. Oh, my God. You will want to catch Tarek's 
if if you if you can be up for it, if you can catch it, Tarek has a very intriguing and different way of interfacing with reality. They're a fantastic and amazing being. And honestly, yes. they look like they just walked out of Stargate. Early to go to that. Did you just say Stargate here? Because I'm gonna lose yeah. my mind. We're like little Stargate nuts, so we um, love it. That awesome. is gonna be phenomenal. Well, everybody. Tomorrow. I don't know if we have any formal sign off, but I will just say thank you all. Go ahead. I just posted a uh, link to the Revelator Network in chat there. If you want to go listen, uh, like I said, if you oh, if you type into the search bar right at the top, Michelle Belanger, boom, you're going to get them all. Elyria, we'd love to have you back in the future to do something together yeah. again. This has just been super, super lovely. You got it. <laughs> okay, everybody. Uh, good night, good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Stay safe, and we'll see you in the morning. Oh, so early. <laughs>